0: Good morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be with you. Thank you to our worship team. I, I know personally, I was especially touched by those those last couple songs. Uh, I just have to admit today that I'm tired, and sometimes I think we think uh, that our ministers put on Superman or Superwoman capes and get up and don't feel the way that everybody's feeling, but this week has just been hard. There's a lot that's On my mind, I know as we consider the fact that we are still in the first wave, but are getting punched again by this first wave, it's exhausting at times. So if you ever feel that way, just know that you aren't alone, and especially this week I'm with you. I think of the passing of John Lewis, the civil rights activist who did so much good for this country, in politics, and in racial injustice, and I pray that we all will be people who honor his legacy. The world lost a good one yesterday. Let me pray for myself a bit, for the Lord's strength to strengthen me as I preach this morning, and for all of us as we consider how we are called to be God's people during this hard time. God, I begin by simply asking for an extra understanding of your presence and your spirit during this time, carry me and be my words this morning, perhaps even more than usual. I admit that it is hard to live through this time and this season, and we need your strength and your hope to move through us. I lift up this time as a simple offering to you and we pray that hearts have already been touched by what's happened before this, but I pray that hearts will be touched by my words and what comes after me as well. Father, we need you and we need your presence more than ever right now. Be with us as we turn our hearts to you and tune in to your spirit this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So I'm very excited. Next week, my good friend Alan Eddington will be uh, preaching for us. He's a really passionate preacher and I'm so thankful for his willingness he'll be preaching. I'm thankful for the opportunity. Uh, my wife and our family are going to take a road trip to visit my brother who's staying in Colorado for a few weeks. And so we're going to be able to, to be there for a week uh, with them. It'll be interesting. We've never done a road trip that long with our kids. So uh, 15 hours in the car, pray for us this week. We're going to be uh, trying to make that happen. But I am super excited for you to hear a word from my friend Alvin. You do not uh, want to miss that next week. He'll be concluding our series called The Struggle is Real, which I'm going to talk about a little bit today, because as I mentioned just in my prayer right now, the struggle is real in 2020, and it seems especially apparent to me right now. And as we think about how we can continue to do what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be during this time, I want us this morning to think for a little bit about what we think about. Because for all of us, there's been a time in our lives where we look back, and maybe it was a decision that happened a year ago or a few years earlier, just a few months ago, and you would ask yourself, what was I thinking? And perhaps you would say, well, I wasn't really thinking. Or my mom told me it wasn't a good idea. Or my friend said, why are you going to that place? Or we knew that, you know, 0% down was just too good to be true. And now we have this thing that we're paying off, Forever, There are times that we think about the decision that we made, and it doesn't even make sense to us. We look in the rearview mirror and think, what on earth was I thinking? And one of the reasons for that is we don't often think enough about what we think about. That's especially true during this time. It's a hard season. There's a lot going on in our world. And we can just sit in this space and and ruminate over these things and continue to, to replay these things that are difficult in our mind. It orients our heart in a certain direction. I think the Apostle Paul got this. And he desperately wanted Christians in the first century and all Christians forever to understand just how powerful and influential the mind is. Just a few passages briefly that I could say, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Set your minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things things. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, please offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, What a beautiful thought for us. Paul gives this list, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, whatever touches your heart, I want you to to think about those things. The mind is absolutely critical to Paul in the life of a believer. We need to think about what it is that we're thinking about. There was a monk named Evagrius in the fourth century, and in the 4th century, he actually helped to lay some groundwork for what we now know as the Enneagram. If you're an Enneagram person, you might have heard uh, his name before. But in his work um, called Talking Back, A Monastic Handbook for Combating Demons, he writes about spiritual forces that can be negative inside of us. And generally, when we think about evil and forces of evil, we think of like an out-of-body, like this evil experience who is like trying to lead us in certain ways. But when Evagrius, in the 4th century, writes about about evil spiritual forces, what he means are thoughts, feelings, and desires that if you act on those things, they will lead to your destruction. Think about, for the te- think about the temptation of Jesus. If you're watching from home and you have a Bible near you, or just look on your phone for a minute to Luke chapter four. I'm not going to have the words on the screen, but look at what happens during the temptation that Jesus experiences in Luke chapter four. Satan tempts him with things that as a human, because Jesus is fully God and fully human, we would all fall for. Like these are things that we would want, that we would desire. But notice as you look at Luke chapter four, what it is that Jesus says in response to Satan. Type it in the chat from home if you can. You know what Jesus responds to when Satan tempts him? Simply scripture. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't want to engage this thought or this desire. I don't want to get into a debate with you about why this is a bad idea. What I'm going to do is I'm simply going to remind myself the truths of God, the truths of scripture. Jesus refuses to get into a back and forth conversation He says, what I choose to do is remind myself of who God is. Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is beautiful, think about those things. Oftentimes, when we think about scripture memorization, I was a kid that grew up at church, and so we would tell our kids, and I used to practice this more as a kid Come and memorize this scripture. And if you memorize this scripture, then you'll like, get a little dot on this chart. And if you fill out the chart, then eventually you might be able to get a cool prize downstairs. We're all excited about that. And so we memorize things as kids. And I would argue that that is a wonderful thing, but perhaps it would be even better if we would memorize scripture as adults. Sure, it's helpful for kids to think about those things, but I think it might be even more helpful for us as adults as we have a better understanding of the world and what the world is like and evil forces in the world. And if we could just have scripture in our heads that when we think about the things that sometimes we shouldn't be thinking about, if we could have that in our head, just like Jesus, to say, I'm not gonna entertain that thought or desire. I'm not gonna go down that road. I'm not gonna debate why it might be a good or bad idea. Let me just quote at you the truths of God. It has unbelievable ability, I think, if we would memorize scripture to change our hearts and our direction. And it's not just our hearts. In fact, there is a new and emerging idea in brain research called neuroplasticity. And I am an expert on this because I watched some things for about 30 minutes. Neuroplasticity is the idea that your brain is like plastic, it's moldable, and really it wasn't until very recently that science thought this, because as MRIs have developed, they've been able to notice that the brains can change. The thought for most of human history up until the very last 10 years is that you get to a certain point when you're in your teenage years, and then your brains just slowly decline. And that makes sense, because as a 37-year-old, sometimes I walk into a room, and I don't know why I walked into that room. And I don't even remember exactly what my sermon was about. No, I'm all right there. Don't, don't worry about me. But we make somewhat sense. Like, you know, slowly, you just like slowly lose brain ability and brain capacity. But what they found, especially recently, is that is so not true. That you can form and develop and change your brain. That can change your behavior. And Paul's like, yeah, I know. I wrote about that 2,000 years ago. There's studies that have shown that people who read Braille have larger hand sensory areas in their brain. There was a study done with taxi drivers in London who are forced before they can become a certified taxi driver to memorize all of the streets in a big city like London. And it found that those individuals had a larger spatial and mapping part of the brain than the average person. There's a TED Talk that I would recommend checking out about this by a doctor named Dr. Laura Boyd, and she says, behaviors that you employ in everyday life are important. Each of them is changing your brain. Neuroplasticity. It makes a difference, and it matters. Again, Christianity has been saying this forever. You have to think about what you think about. I know for me, probably the thing that I miss more than anything is singing with you on Sunday morning. It's been a blessing just the last couple of weeks. We have just a few people here. I'm so thankful for the gifts and talents that they're all pouring out. But just having a handful of us in this room singing has lifted my spirit so much. And I want so badly for us to get back together. Because what we do as we sing together is we ruminate and think about the truths of God. And hopefully you memorize some of those songs and you sing them throughout the week. Hopefully you think about those songs again and again and those draw you again into the heart and presence of God. We do this by singing together. We And do it by reading scripture and memorizing scripture and diving into it. We do it by praying, by stepping outside of our moment and ourselves for a bit and saying, God, I I choose to direct my heart and my energy to you because I know that you are there and I'm going to choose to focus on you instead of whatever it is that is stressing me out or is hard for me to deal with. And this doesn't mean don't take things seriously. It doesn't mean just don't think about the news ever or what's going on. Take it seriously. Be challenged by it. But don't let it be the thing that you just focus on all day long. Find some space and some time to think about the things that are noble, pure, and true. Think for a bit about God. There's a famous mathematician named Blaise Pascal, who was in the 1600s, and he said this, all men's and obviously women's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. And this is somewhat shocking to me, because this was written in the 1600s. And what did they really have to do? I was just like reading a book. Oh, I'm just going to read this book. I don't even understand exactly what they had to do, but it was a problem then, apparently. And I would argue it's even more of a problem today. You have some space in your week, in your rhythm to sit in a quiet room alone with God because it can change your brain. As we continue to struggle and go through hard stuff, we can allow that stuff to be the thing that just turns over and over and over again in our mind. We could think about scriptures, songs, and powerful things that God has done in our past. In Christian history before, this isn't the first time that there's been a pandemic, God has brought people through it before. As Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three experience sin. They in Genesis three get some things that are hard. Eve is going to experience pain during childbirth. And that's a hard one for for the ladies out there. I'm sorry about that. I've witnessed it. It's not easy. And thorns and thistles are going to come up from the ground. The work that you're doing, it's going to be hard for you sometimes. And there's going to be parts about all of our jobs that are difficult and we need to to work to get through them. But the number one most difficult thing that Adam and Eve lose is perfect relationship with God. And being able to more fully understand and experience God's presence than we do right now. We are promised God's presence and the Holy Spirit by Jesus, but if we're honest, at times it doesn't necessarily feel that way, and that's one reason why we struggle with things like prayer. We're finding space to be quiet in a room alone. May we seek that with our lives because God's presence is there for us we, even during hard times, can be directed back into the heart of God. By thinking about the truths of Scripture, by singing perhaps a song that you really enjoy, by being faithful and thinking about how God has been faithful to you in the past. God can truly actually re- wire us. George Handel, who wrote Handel's Messiah, wrote it in 1741. And he was a devoted Christian that's arguably the most famous piece of music ever written. It has a very long hallelujah chorus. It's sung around Christmas time. Handel wrote that in one 24-hour period. and He said it was a fervent moment of praise to God that it just came out of his spirit and he couldn't help He was just a conduit for what God wanted to say through him and at the end of this beautiful piece he wrote to God be the glory it was an overflow of worship from Handel's heart May we be the type of people who have a posture that when life gets hard or when we're using our gifts and talents, it is an overflow of worship because of who our God is. As I thought about this sermon this week, it's helpful for me to just live my life during this time and see some of the things that everybody is experiencing and something that we are experiencing, perhaps for the first time ever for you like me, is lines at grocery stores. And I was over at the beloved Trader Joe's that I enjoy so much right here by the church. And I'm seeing everybody standing in line. I'm so thankful for the ways that um, workers at grocery stores have made it as safe as possible for us. And it's really not that big of a deal. It's just a few minutes waiting in line sometimes. But as I was out there waiting the five to ten minutes it took to get into the grocery store, I saw that everybody just like this, you know, just looking at stuff that, we all consider to be important. And I know that I would be doing the exact same thing if I sometimes didn't have to think about God for my job. I would just be doing the same thing, just staring into a phone. And the issue is, I mean, perhaps some of those people were looking at good things. But let's be honest, most of us are just scrolling for news updates. And whatever it is that you subscribe to as your brand of news, whatever you think is the correct version of the story of coronavirus. Let's be honest, all of it's based in fear. And I'm not saying don't take this stuff seriously, but so often we're just hearing things, again, from both sides of the aisle. Be afraid about this thing, or be afraid about that thing. And again, take some time, think about the news. Every day, it's important for you to have an understanding of what's going on. But so often, this stuff is just like an IV drip. And every moment that we have, we're just looking at it again and again and again. And we wonder why the rates of anxiety and depression are higher than they ever have been. That was before the coronavirus pandemic. Are you tired? Are you exhausted? There's going to be times during this as you grapple with the realities of what life is like and as we think about the uncertainty of how long is this going to be like this and when will we ever experience some sort of normalcy, again, there's going to be times when you hit a wall. But to help you through that, can you think about things that are pure and true and not just keep replaying this message of fear in your mind again and again and again? There was a Christian writer who was experiencing a moment of burnout. Her name was Tan Wee Wee. And in her moment of burnout, she decided that she needed to get away from where she was and spend some time in Italy. And she said this about this experience. As I mentioned, before I went to Italy, I'd felt totally burnt out. The trip turned out to be creatively regenerative. Because I saw the power that artists can have. The artist, like God, can create a thing of beauty out of nothing. A thing that can soothe the mind and heal the soul. One might even define beauty by the effect it has on a person. Try this. Beauty is anything. An object, words on a page, the sound of music that stills the soul and fills it with joy, peace, and love. Artists have been given a gift from God, the ability to heal the soul. As I looked at those objects in Italy, the more beauty I saw, the more beautiful I felt inside. I began to understand a profound but simple truth. You become what you contemplate. You become what you contemplate. What art heals your soul is it music? Is it painting? What helps you to redirect your mind and your thoughts to good spaces? Because you, come, you become what you contemplate. There's another monk who lived in the 1600s named Brother Lawrence. And he served in this monastery. And the task that he had that was most mundane for him was washing the dishes. He said he would wash the dishes in that space almost every single day. And in his book called Practicing the Presence of God, which I would highly recommend, it's a short read and something that has a great word for us during this time. He said that he would use that time washing the dishes to commune with God. He said that all activities are a way for us to partner with God as we turn our affection toward God creator. No matter how mundane, no matter how just trite and routine it might be, may we find some time to direct our hearts towards God and to think about what we think about because you are what you contemplate. Every moment is a chance for you to encounter the love of God. As we close today, this of course brings me to Garfield phones. Here's a picture of those beloved Garfield phones. If you aren't familiar with the cartoon character Garfield, it's a cat that was part of a cartoon, and there's movies and everything, and he really likes lasagna for some reason. And back a long time ago, Garfield was very popular, and there was a line of all kinds of things that were made uh, in Garfield's image. And there were phones that when you would pick up the phone, Garfield's eyes would open, and then when you would hang it up, they would close. And these became very, very popular. That really is just a random fact. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? But for 35 years, up until just last year, these Garfield phones, sometimes hundreds of them, would wash onto a beach in Brittany, France. And nobody had any idea why. In fact, it just became accepted that, you know, every year there's just gonna be hundreds or thousands of these things that wash up onto shore. We clean it up and it's, it is, just is what it is. And Garfield phones will just keep coming and coming and coming. Again, this lasted for 35 years. I'm 37 years old, so it's pretty much my entire life these Garfield phones have been washing onto beaches in Brittany, France. And finally, an environmental group said, this is not good for the ocean to have this, so we should probably do something about it. And so they organized a group, they sent letters out to the surrounding area, and there was a farmer who said, yeah, I know exactly where that's coming from. And they thought, well, why didn't you speak up before? And he said, there's this shipping container that's in this cave that's only accessible at certain times of year because of the tide. I'll take you there. And it was the time for them to go do it. And so they went to this shipping container, this group of researchers and environmentalists, and they found that this shipping container still had a few Garfield phones, and most of them were gone. But it had been there for 35 years. And there was a great quote from one of them that said, Alas, we arrived after the battle. <laughs> Most of the Garfield phones, after 35 years, had been washed up onto shore. There were just a few pieces left. I think that's a very weird illustration. But something for me that just made me think about how there's just stuff. It just washes into my brain that I just say, yeah, this is just what I do. Now I, I get up and I check the news. I get up and I do this, right? Go to bed and I'm looking at all this stuff, like right before I go to bed. Something that I would offer as a, just a piece of advice. There's an idea called parenting your phone, that your phone has a bedtime. You turn it off or put it on silent and you put it away so you don't just keep going through the same thing. I think about that weird instance of all these Garfield phones washing up onto this beach, and it happened for years. And all they had to do was get to the source of the problem and change it. May we understand that it's just not healthy or helpful to continue to ruminate on what's hard. That doesn't mean you don't take it seriously and you don't like know the information and think about it. But may we not just let our hearts stay there. Let that stuff just keep washing over us again and again because you have the power to change your brain. Please I beg of you, take advantage of it. Paul's been saying this for 2,000 years. Do not Just conform to the pattern of the world. Don't just think like everybody else. In fact, what you should do is think about what is pure, what's beautiful, what's holy, what helps you to connect with God. How do you expect your life and your mind to be in a better space if all you do is just let these things continue to wash over you again and again and again? And again, you have the power to change. But it's gonna take you thinking about what you think about. One of my friends named Chris is a pastor in the Dallas area and he told a story in a sermon recently about a couple in his church who had a nine-year-old daughter. This family has been reading the Chronicles of Narnia. The mom said to the daughter, what do you want to do tonight? And the daughter said, I want you to read to me about Aslan, if you haven't read those books, aren't familiar with this story, Aslan is the character that's like Jesus in that story. I want you to read to me about Aslan, mom. And her mom said, why is that? She said, because when you read to me about Aslan, I think about coronavirus less. out of the minds of our children. We recognize where our hearts and minds need to be. May we recognize that it matters what we think about. And we have the chance to connect our hearts and our minds to one who is even better than Aslan who helps us through dark and difficult times. May we truly think about what we're thinking about, because it changes us from the inside out. I hope and pray that you will take this time seriously, that you'll get good information, but that you won't just let it be this IV that is slowly dripping into you all the time. That you can say, I choose the heart of God, and as we experience temptation, as we experience the hard things that are happening in us, we could be like Jesus, who doesn't even entertain it and says, instead, I'm just going to quote Scripture back at this stuff, because I don't want to argue that it might be better for me. I'm going to quote the truths of God to remember who my God is. May we set our hearts and our minds on things above.